welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is john stobar from chronos investment partners welcome john hey rama how are you doing it's a pleasure to be a guest on your show yeah doing great how about you john Oh, I'm doing great. I'm super pumped to be here with you today. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. A little bit about John. John oversees underwriting, market analysis, and financial reporting at Kronos. Having begun his career as a financial analyst at a Fortune 500 company, he has managed complex projects that generate over $5 million in annual revenue. These skills equip John with the ability to build financial models, evaluate properties, and analyze financial metrics to ensure construct transactions that generate the highest returns of returns for their investors. while mitigating risk in addition to crunching numbers john has also renovated and operated investment property in baltimore maryland and is actively raising capital he is also the host of his own podcast called the millennials in multifamily podcast and has a free book called how to analyze big apartments building and make them feel small with that john would you like to add anything to your background no you kind of hit the nail on the head thanks for the great introduction Cool. And how did you get started into real estate and multifamily, John? Well, so I got started in real estate. I'd say my story begins about four years ago when I was graduating from college. And, you know, that whole last semester I was in college, I was just looking for a job. And days before I graduated, I finally got a job offer at a company that I was going to accept. I didn't have a ton of options to choose from. So I accepted the offer really because uh, I had no choice. And I looked at the salary and the compensation and the vacation package. And I was pretty much right, like right there. And then I was like, this ain't going to work. This just isn't. enough money it's not enough time off you know i'm never going to be able to live life on my own terms with this little free time this this little you know amount of means so i immediately realized i need to make passive income you know warren buffett says something like and if you're not making money in your sleep you're going to work till you die so i was like i need to make passive income and of course of all the places i turned to i turned to google i was like how do i make passive income and the results it came, it comes up with are like dividend stocks bonds cd's which i knew about all of them cuz i majored in finance and accounting and then the other option that kept coming up was real estate. I'd always been really interested in real estate as a, you know, a way to produce passive income. I was familiar with it. I was in a fraternity uh for college for a little while and I knew how much the landlords were making off of the frat houses and they were getting these really high security deposits to cover damages. So I'd always been interested in that route, but I thought I would have to be the one like swinging the hammer and doing all the repairs on my properties. And I'm just I'm so bad with like tools and being a handyman, I never learned how to use them that it always scared me off. I'd had like family members and friends they're like telling me they're like, "You know, you're going to have to like learn how to fix your water heater if you're going to run investment property." And I was just like, "I can't do that." Like, I'm going to find something that is more suited to my skill set. But as I started diving down this rabbit hole, you know, I started learning that you can implement systems to leverage your strengths and outsource your weaknesses and the light bulb kind of just went off. Where I was like, "I don't have to be my own handyman. I can do what I'm good at, which is like crunching numbers and developing relationships and I can be successful in this business. So fast forward 9 months, I start my first job. It's up in Baltimore. I have this really long commute. You know, I grew up outside of 
Washington, D.C. It was really expensive too. So I ended up buying a little duplex up there in Baltimore City on FHA financing. And I did what's called house hacking, which is where you buy a property and then you either live in one of the units or bedroom and then you rent out the other available spaces. And funny enough, I had to evict my very first tenant who lives right above me, but I was able to do that. And I got a roommate and then I got a tenant in the upstairs apartment and I was living for free. And I put like $4,300 down to get into that house. So it was like, I proved the concept and I kind of caught the bug right then there. So I knew at some point that I was going to have to tackle my weakness of rehabbing properties because that's just one of the most common ways to force appreciation is through renovations. So of course I go out and find the biggest, baddest flip in, in Baltimore city. It was this complete gut job, 120 year old house needed all new systems, new roof, had to dig out the basement and to be honest, like I got in way over my head on that project. One of the partners I teamed up with, he, he had the construction background and I just don't think the pie was big enough to keep him motivated. You know, he, he had his own business, he was doing his own projects and it was just too small of a prize at the end of the tunnel for him to really stay motivated. And me and another partner were kind of, you know, I think left holding the back. But that kind of made us, you know, turn to multifamily because I had this duplex and no matter what happened with my duplex, you know, it performed despite all the headaches I would have to deal with being a landlord in Baltimore City. My other partner had a fourplex and he needed to deal with a six-month eviction at the time we were renovating this house. But as he'll tell you, his tenants paid for all his bills and all his vacancy. Meanwhile, with this flip, whenever we went over budget, it was like, well, that's coming out of our pockets and we're not going to get paid till the very end. And who knows what the market's going to be like. We always wanted to go into apartments, but we had thought you had to work your way up through single family investing, flipping and wholesaling. We we're kind of just like, screw this. We don't even want to do this. And if we get into another like flip or rehab that goes bad, we're just going to keep wasting time and losing money. Let's just make the jump into multifamily. And so right then and there, we just, we committed to focusing solely on apartment buildings. Cool and awesome. And thanks for sharing your experience. And what is financial freedom means to you, John? Financial freedom to me means I have the the means to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want. Cool. So how are you leveraging your experience as a financial analyst into multifamily journey? So I think I have a good strength when it comes to underwriting deals and building financial models in Excel. So when I started to, you know, foray into multifamily, I naturally, you know, drifted towards underwriting the deals and, and analyzing them. And I think that's where I've carved out a role for myself in, in this business right now. Cool. And you wrote a book, How to Analyze Big Governments Building and Make Them Feel Small. So would you share more about that book? Yeah, that's a free book I wrote. And funny enough, when I started like learning how to analyze deals, it was that moment where I was like, I'm going to invest in apartments. I start pulling deals off of like LoopNet and Crexy to start practicing, you know, my underwriting and developing that skill. And I thought it would come kind of naturally to me because I'm pretty good with numbers. I know my way around an Excel spreadsheet and like I can build the financial models and I enjoyed doing that. What I ran into though was I didn't know the numbers for an apartment building. Like I didn't know what rehab costs would be. I didn't know, you know, what operating expenses should be, what you could get rents to in different markets. You know, I didn't know how to build out my budgets my, and my forecasts when I was underwriting the deal. And what you realize when you underwrite enough deals is you just have to know where to go to find the answers. You know, how do I figure out what I can get rents to be? How do I figure out what expenses will be when I take over the property and implement my own cost structure? How do I figure out what the rehab costs would be? And that was like the biggest challenge for me. And I spent probably, you know, like at least 12 months 
putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And it kind of hit me. I was like, if I'm having this much trouble doing this and I'm actually good with numbers and I enjoy this stuff, most people who start down this path probably quit before they ever get proficient in it. And so I wrote the book just as a way to hopefully help speed someone's learning curve up and tell them like, this is how you find the answers, you know, for the inputs you're putting into your financial model. Cool. And sharing that is very great. So you built from scratch or did you baseline any other models? For my financial models? Yes. I mean, we've had a lot of inspiration from other models. I don't think anything is truly built from scratch, but it was our own spreadsheet that we just started from a blank Excel file. Yeah. So why you build a new one? Share me some benefits with your models. Well, I wanted something that I'd heard from someone when I first started that you really need to have a monthly cash flow breakdown. And I was like, I really want that monthly cash flow breakdown. And that's actually ended up being huge in my financial model for me, at least, because what that monthly breakdown allows me to do is I can build out my own renovation schedule. So that way I don't have to like ballpark what my vacancy is going to be while I'm doing renovations. It calculates that all for me. Having monthly breakdown also allows me to like stagger my rent growth or my rent bumps and any like operating expense increases. Whereas if you just have an annual pro forma, oftentimes you're assuming that your rent is going to be higher on like the day that you take over the property, which is not the case. You know, usually the first year you'll have like very modest rent growth, if any because you have extra vacancy due to your units being down. The monthly breakdown also allows me to see, you know, even if in that that first year I'm going to have negative or positive overall cash flow, the first few months I may have negative cash flow and then it turns positive and it, I end up being positive for the year. That's common in like most business models, especially if you're doing like some heavy value add. And so I can build reserves into my model, kind of like, you know, an interest reserve. And it automatically, if I go negative cash flow for the month, it'll either tell me or it'll draw from that reserve account. So I know this is how much reserves I need to go in to make sure that I can cover all my bills and I can stress test different assumptions. Like right now we're in COVID, you know, do I want to stress test really low economic occupancy for like the first year? How much of a reserve do I need to raise to make sure I can pay all my bills and cover my debt service? And then lastly, um, my model in the investor returns tab, it just allows you to break up the different, I guess, returns and the amount of profit each general partner is going to make if you're doing a syndication. So if you have a deal, let's say you find a deal you put under contract and now you have to like put your pieces together find some, like your boots on the ground, your KP, you know, people with experience, you can start negotiating with them and say, Hey, you know, if I give you like 10% to, to fill out this role, this is how much money you're going to make. And then they might say, mm, like, you know, I, I need 20%. You could, you can input that into your model and say, all right, if I give you this much percentage, like this is how much you're going to make. This is how much I'm going to make. I need to make this much to make this deal worth it for me. Otherwise I'm going to go to someone else. So that's, that's also a really cool feature. Cool. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So what are the variables you would consider and why you would consider those variables for different markets and different types of multifamily deals and different renovation deals, you know? I mean, so if you're in a different market, for me, it often impacts what like my growth assumptions are going to be. So I'm doing a deal in in Little Rock, Arkansas right now, that's a pretty stable market, but it's not growing super fast. Like, you know, let's say like Phoenix or Jacksonville, Florida are. So in a market like Little Rock, I'm probably going to assume lower rent growth than I am for a market that is like super high growth where rents, uh, 
you know, they're, they're going up like 5% a year. Not that I would underwrite 5% a year, especially not now, but still the difference between a 1% rent growth, you know, annual rent bump and a 2% bump that actually has like a really big impact on uh, your returns. And then as far as like what your exit cap rates are going to be, that's going to be impacted by the market. If I'm in a market like Jacksonville, that's very stable, it's lower risk. Let's say I'm doing a deal for myself. I might be willing to pay a little more and have a lower cash on cash. You know, my goal at that point is I want to make sure I can keep the property during a recession or some like a pandemic like we're doing, like we're going through right now. And if I underrate a 12 or 13% IRR, you know, maybe that's okay for me because I know I have so much potential on the back end for appreciation. Now I'm not going to underwrite that, but I'm willing to accept less risk in that market and take a lower return than I am in a market like Little Rock that's a little more tertiary. It's rougher. You know, I'm going to want to be producing really high returns, probably double digit cash on cash to account for the risk that it's just not as stable of a market as Jacksonville. And it doesn't have all like the things that people will look for in a market such as population growth, income growth, job growth, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. And thanks for sharing those examples. Yeah, those are great points. So what markets you are targeting, John? So we have this deal in Little Rock that we're doing a heavy reposition on right now that kind of just fell into our lap. And we're still looking for, for deals in that market at this time. But we've really put a big focus on the Florida market because one of my partners lives in Jacksonville and he he just went into the business full time. So we really want to buy some properties in Florida. I think Florida is a great market. And then I'm also just trying to develop relationships with people who... I trust, I know they're, they have integrity and they're good operators. And that way we could potentially partner on deals and markets that I'm not located in, such as, you know, let's take like Dallas, Fort Worth. I love Phoenix. I mean, I absolutely love Phoenix and Arizona, Utah, Colorado. So I would be interested in any of those markets, but I'm looking more for the person also than the market. Like if it's a, if it's not as hot of a market, like a Phoenix, but I can meet, I can develop a relationship with someone who's in, let's, let's take a market like Little Rock or Tulsa, Oklahoma. But if the operator has the same values as I do, you know, they have integrity, they're trustworthy and they're going to work really hard. I would definitely partner with someone on a deal in that, in a market like that. Yeah. Great. And thanks for sharing that. And so what size of deals you are looking in those markets? Well, for the out-of-state markets that were not the boots on the ground on, 100 plus, because those would be syndications and it needs to support a full-time staff. In Florida, we kind of have two different models because you know we're boots on the ground there. So we're looking to do a joint venture this year in 2021, 20 to 50 units, and would love to do a syndication there as well, which you know that'd also be around the 100 unit mark for the full-time staff. And they're looking value-add deals there or stabilized deals? Either or, I you know we're doing this heavy lift right now, and I'm not really looking for to, to handle two of them at the moment. Value light value as preferred. You know, if I can do something where it's like light interior renovations and exterior work to bump rents, that's ideal. But I would definitely take a stabilized deal in a place like Jacksonville if there's you know room to manage it more efficiently and increase net operating income that way because you know, it just you're in Jacksonville and if it's cash flowing in five years, you know, the market may, may take care of your IRR and your equity multiple and all those other returns. And, you know, if not, then so be it. You still have a good cash flowing asset. Cool. Yeah. So what is our process of raising capital for these deals? 
Well, we have our own podcast, so we're, we're branding ourselves through there. Then me and my team, we do things like we put on webinars, join you know Zoom networking meetups now that we're in COVID and all the personal stuff has kind of gone away. And one of my partners, his goal is to go develop relationships with investors. So he's very active on LinkedIn. He has targeted like a certain type of client or avatar who he thinks would be a good investor for us. So for us, it's like, you know, real estate agents, house flippers, wholesalers people in real estate who make lots of money, but they get crushed by taxes because they're taxed at the ordinary income you know, rate. And then he can go develop relationships with them and teach them about cost segregation and bonus depreciation. Because for someone who's a house flipper, like a really successful house flipper, they're probably paying 40 to 50% of their income to Uncle Sam. And if he can educate them about cost segregation, you know, he could potentially reduce their tax bill by like, you know, over 50%, which is huge for them. Yeah, that's correct. And thanks for great points. And would you share any of your best and worst apartment investing experiences, any real estate or apartment? Well, so for the apartment experience, I mean, the worst experience we've had on on one of our properties was we had a gas leak where one of our, you know, our valves on our water heaters, they just kind of went out and like one of our buildings didn't have hot water for a couple of days, but we ended up getting that repaired. That was expensive, but I think the tenants actually appreciated that we were at least on it quickly. My worst real estate experience though was that house flip and just going through that. I mean, with my limited background in construction renovations, taking on a project like that was really painful and I had no idea what I was getting into. Cool. Yeah. So what is your current focus on share something you're excited about now? You know, my current focus right now is I want to be part of my first syndication this year. And so definitely want to do one big deal this year. And then on the marketing, the branding side, I want to continue to grow my own podcast and help spread my book and, you know, get that into as the hands of as many people as possible. Cool. And good luck with that. Thank you. So any one advice that impacted you, John? Well, I don't know where I've heard this from, but I'm very careful who I take advice from. You know, if they're not where I want to be, I'm generally not interested in listening to it. And that's because I've gotten advice from family members who are very successful, but in the W-2 world, and it always ends up discouraging me. And once I kind of blocked out the advice that I was given, I started to gain some traction in the business and just my state of mind was so much better. Cool. So any one personal habits that helping you to be successful? Focus. I don't know if it's a personal habit, but just razor sharp focus. I've kind of designed my entire life around being able to devote as much free time as possible as I can to this business. Yeah, cool. So any one book that impacted your life and what way? The most influential book in my life has definitely been the book on managing rental properties by Brandon and Heather Turner of Bigger Pockets, because that was the book that made me realize that I don't have to be my own handyman in my properties and I can develop systems to be a landlord. Cool. So how are you giving back to community, John? Well, currently I'm trying to give back to the real estate community by just, you know, sharing knowledge through my podcast and the underwriting case studies that we put on and helping others grow. As I grow in this business though, you know, I, I need to have some more time and some more financial means, I think, but I want to give back to less 
privileged kids. And that's just something from my experience grow or living in Baltimore City for a few years. Yeah, I realized like a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, they were really good kids. They were nice. They were funny. They just all of them don't have like the types of role models that I had growing up. And I think that, you know, they often get steered onto the wrong path. So if I could have some sort of charitable foundation that helps, you know, give kids who are underprivileged, like proper role models and more opportunities. That's something I, I really want to do. Awesome. And thanks for sharing underwriting model book and you no. Know, yeah, no problem, Rama. Yeah, what you are doing. And how can listeners can connect with you, John? So they can connect with me through, you know, my podcast, which is the Millennials and Multifamily Podcast. I'm also very active on Facebook. So it's John Stober. You send me a friend request or shoot me a DM and you can find me on Instagram too. It's just John underscore Stober. Awesome. And thank you, John. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having me. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.